0: Welcome back to Health Call Live. If you've got a question, you don't have to give blood
1: to get the answer. Just call us at 447-1190.
0: Welcome back to the program. You know, one of the many consequences of COVID-19 is one that uh, really hasn't had a lot of focus. And there was a government report out this week that indicated that the amount of anxiety, depression, addiction, and other issues in our young people as a result of COVID-19 is really a problem that needs to be focused on. So that's what we're going to do in this half hour with Dr. Scott Myers, a repeat guest here on the program. Good to see you again this morning, doctor. Well, thank you so much,
2: Lee, for having us. Always a delight to speak with you.
0: And also Nate Molering, who is a community outreach director at Fort Wayne Recovery. Recovery, and I don't I know you're not gonna mind if I say that you yourself are, are in recovery right now.
1: Not at all. Don't mind one bit.
0: So I want to talk a little bit about Scott. I'm gonna ask you to kind of summarize this report that came out this week from the CDC. What do we learn
2: about kids and, and how this has affected them? Well, what's interesting is that we've known that mental health has been uh, trending in worrisome directions over recent years, but the recent data has showed that it's even more alarming than some people might have imagined. Uh, Specifically, for example, the the national data showed that among high school students, over 44% had reported feeling significant sadness or hopelessness, and almost 20% had seriously considered suicide, which is somewhat alarming and, and obviously very uh, concerning uh, that uh, the impact of um covid and a lot of different factors is having such a uh, impact on our, our young uh, people in the community and you are involved in
0: a number of different programs now in this state tell us a little bit about just kind of quickly what uh, engagements do you have and then we'll get later to what those organizations are doing about it
2: yeah that's right Nate and I are both on the drug and alcohol consortium where we look at negative impacts and overdoses of uh, substance use here in the Allen County area and I'm also also involved with pediatric suicide review at the state level where we look at uh, tragic losses and review them to try and understand how we could prevent such um, tragedies in the future. Nate, what are you seeing
1: in terms of drug abuse in in young people these days? Has there been a spike since COVID? There has been a massive spike since COVID. It's been trending up in the last 20 years, but COVID really kind of uh, caused a boom, mainly because of the isolation. So many people were isolated, Uh, but there was a lot of anxiety and depression, I think partly because of just the unrest going on in the world. A lot of young people didn't know quite what was going to happen, how things were going to play out um plus we know and Dr Myers and I talk about this a lot the opposite of addiction is human connection. And that's one of the things we've lost a lot in the pandemic, you know, with children, you know, doing the e-learning, right, over a screen. And also we they've grown up in the generation of social media. Mm-hmm. So we've lost that face-to-face human connection that we really crave at a deep level. Yeah, that is, you know, the the whole
0: e-learning thing is that's got to be incredibly tough, not only for kids, but also for parents the stress that causes in the family and then the economic dislocation that became because of COVID kids feel all of that dynamics in a family, right? And you're telling me that more and more of them are turning to drugs. And in today's world, that's even more dangerous than ever because of the change in what's happening with drugs
1: on the street. Yes, we've seen a massive spike in addiction. And and part of the reason is because of the rise of, of social media, you know, social media, there are algorithms in social media that are designed to hit the parts of the brain that deal with pleasure. So when we when, when we overload the part of the brain with dopamine that deals with pleasure, our our threshold for pain goes down. So a lot of young people Couple that with access to large amounts of drugs on the street. And the most common drug on the street right now is fentanyl. And for those who don't know what fentanyl is, it's a synthetic opioid, which is 50 times stronger than heroin and 100 times stronger than morphine. And the problem is, it is killing so many young people because they're not even aware that it's in their drugs. So what these dealers are doing is they are selling fake counterfeit, is what they are, prescription pills on the street and telling them that they're real. And they are they are they are capturing these law enforcement by by the pounds, in the United States. So it is there's just a huge um, uh, uh, supply out there of these lethal substances.
0: This is nothing. I know nothing about. This. Well, not enough about this. Tell me about how I, kids don't know they're taking fentanyl. What do
1: they think they're taking instead? So, these, these manufacturers have basically bought pill presses off of Amazon, which is entirely illegal, and they buy the dye and, and, and the, um, the cutting agents like Xylazine, which is an animal tranquilizer, and uh, acetaminophen, which is Tylenol. Mm-hmm. And so, they're pressing them with these pill presses into what looks exactly like legitimate prescription Percocet, prescription Vicodin, prescription Xanax, and prescription Adderall. We've even seen some fake forms of Tylenol laced with fentanyl out there that say Tylenol on them that look like real Tylenol tablets. And so what they're doing is selling this to young people over social media And presenting them as something they would get out of their grandparents' um, medicine cabinet, right? And a lot of young people say, oh, Percocet isn't that harmful. My grandpa had it when he had hip surgery. Or Xanax isn't harmful. It's for anti-anxiety. My mom takes that when she's feeling anxious. So, these are drugs that have been normalized to children, right? Through, whether it's pop culture or the medical community, through through, through prescribing, right? And things like Adderall are very popular among young people because they use it to study. You know, it's an amphetamine, and it's used for... ADHD, and for people that have ADHD, it's very effective, but if you don't, it is not effective. So it's widely abused. So what's happening is they're thinking they're taking this pill, they take it at a party or on Christmas break when they come home, and this is happening from children middle school through college age, is where we've seen the largest spike in overdose deaths and non fatal overdoses. And so they take this pill one time, sometimes the very first time. These are not people that are necessarily what you would consider people with long-term substance use or addictions. These are curious young people who are dying from one mistake, which is it should never happen.
0: And the problem is that with this unregulated pill production, what happens? I do it once; it's okay. Another time, hey, that was
1: fun. Let's do this again. And then the third time comes along, and the problem is there's zero quality control. So one of the things that pharmaceutical companies they pay people lots of money to that have PhDs is like parts per million in the pill to make sure that the ratios are correct. These guys are making it in their basement, and they're they're churning it out while well, they're also using drugs, typically. They don't have degrees. They're not pharmacists. So, there's zero quality control. So, you could get 10 of these counterfeit pills. You could take nine of them, and be, be fine. And the last one could have, you know, and the thing is fentanyl is so powerful. Two milligrams can be lethal. That's, that's the equivalent of two grains of salt if it's pure fentanyl. And so, that last one could have 10 times more fentanyl than all the other ones did. So, the person could have this false sense of security, well, I've done it all these times before, and it's been fine. You never know when you're going to get that hot pill, that hot dose is what we call it. Wow. Scott, as you, as you review youth suicides, uh, is there
0: uh, a common pattern here that we're seeing?
2: Well, we look at each one on a case-by-case basis, but one thing that came up in a meeting we had just last week is just the same issue of connectedness that we've been talking about. And I think that um, on some level, with the advent of social media and people tending to live life on their electronic devices, some our society has lost our ability to bond. And so it's really important that people connect in person with community, with family, with friends. And when that happens, not only does it improve mental health, but those people who are at risk, Um, are more likely to be noticed and brought to attention. In fact, one of the discussions we had at our last meeting is that there were uh, several cases where um, young people who committed suicide had almost come to medical attention, uh, but they didn't just because they were essentially isolated. So again, it comes back to connectedness. And when people are talking to other people in person and not just online, then good things happen. And, And we need to sort of get back to that community culture of bonding among people
0: we're going to talk about uh, how the state is taking a look at this problem uh, the various organizations that are out there that are trying to analyze this and figure out where do we go how do we fix this and i think you're going to be surprised when you hear about what happens after an overdose patient winds up in the hospital it may not be what you would expect it to be and we're going to get again and we will get into all of that when we continue on the health call live radio hour on WoWO. This is Health Call Live. We're glad you're listening, but don't be afraid to call and ask your question on the air. It's free, non-invasive, and best of all, you don't have to wear an exam gown. Now, back to health and wellness correspondent, Lee Kelso. And we are back to our discussion of teenage suicide, drug abuse, and other things associated with COVID, but also just the pressures of life today with Dr. Scott Myers and also Nate Mullering, who is the Community Outreach Director at Fort Wayne Recovery. During the break, Nate, you said something I thought was going Interesting. That is, you just cannot get if you're having a mental crisis, there aren't enough beds or enough providers. We are way short of what we need to have in
1: our community. We certainly are, you know, and there are beds for acute situations, which would be somebody who is admittedly homicidal or suicidal or having auditory or visual hallucinations. However, if that person goes to the ER, what we do is t- many times with, with mental health crises. is now we have the crisis intervention team with at least in Fort Wayne, the Fort Wayne Police Department, they're crisis intervention certified. They go out and they make a determination and they put the person on what's called a 24-hour hold. So what happens is the person has to go to the hospital to get checked out. However, it's up to a psychiatrist or a psych nurse to approve or deny the 24-hour hold or extend it to 72 hours. So if the person is making suicidal threats but then when they get to the hospital they go back on those threats and say, I never said that, I'm not suicidal, they're released. So we have nothing subacute for individuals who are suffering severely from depression, anxiety, things that could lead them to suicide. So it's very difficult, even, even in a scenario where someone is suicidal or homicidal, the medications typically for mental health take about two weeks to start to get into the bloodstream and start to show effect. So if you put this person on this medication for 72 hours or five days, seven days at max, we're still not seeing the full effect. You know, they're being released and you're saying, hey, go check in an outpatient in two weeks. Well, the person never makes it to outpatient. <laughs> sure.
0: Yeah, and
1: it's pretty clear that, you know, the first med they give you may
0: not be the effective med that you need and with that two week lag, yeah, I get it. Absolutely. I get it. Dr. Myers, you said something earlier that- that was caught my attention, that is, there is a phrase that
2: seems to be a key trigger. What is that? Well, when um, people are in the emergency department and they're being evaluated by psychiatry professionals for the possibility of suicide risk and whether or not they should be admitted to the hospital, there are certain standard questions that the uh, providers would ask, such as whether or not somebody committing Um, or thinking about suicide has a plan or intent. And sometimes um, patients will say, no, I don't have a plan. I'll be fine. Um, And they can essentially be discharged because they've said the right things. But again, as we see, those patients aren't always... Uh, in a good place where they really should be discharged. Sure. Right.
0: so, yeah, no, I don't have a plan and then I go home and execute my plan. Right. Right. So, uh, Nate, you said that uh, the the amount of time I spend in the hospital after an overdose, intentional or accidental, uh, is very short and then what happens?
1: What yeah. happens when I'm out? Typically, uh, it used to be everyone was taken to the emergency room when there's an overdose. But now that we've seen a spike in overdoses, you know, we have about uh, I think we worked it out. What was it? About hundred a week or hundred a month here in mm-hmm. Allen County? And three a day, three a day, three a day. And that's what we know of. There's plenty of people who are being revived by their friends or family because they have the drug Narcan, which reverses an opioid overdose, at their disposal, which is a good thing. But we don't exactly know what that number is. We estimate it to be higher. So the person goes to the hospital and they're there to basically become stable. A hospital and ER is designed to get you stable enough to walk out the door. So many times you're given fluids, you're given some Narcan, they make sure you're not going to drift back into the overdose and you're on your way. And a lot of hospitals mean very well. Their, Their intention is to get you connected with services. However, a lot of them are overwhelmed. A lot of them don't have the staff, you know, staffing shortages have played a big role into it. And also a scarcity of 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 recovery resources for people to be discharged to post um, post ER visit right so the amount of time that someone is under the care of a physician after a potentially life-ending event is actually very short period of time a lot of people would think if this person has a drug overdose they would be held in the hospital for at least you would think three or four days to make sure they're stable and they're not going to do it again yeah but that's not what we see wow that's surprising
0: So, you said earlier that there is a, we talked about the influence of social media, but that's not every electronic device I hold. People need to split those
2: apart. That's right. I think that's important to realize that we're not trying to be down on social media. I mean, our technology is amazing. Smartphones, tablets, uh, we have amazing resources, and that's a good thing. But I think the key is moderation and to balance the time spent online with time spent offline. In other words, in-person connections with family, with friends. And so, again, screen time and social media is fine in in good context, but just remember to stay connected uh, to people and not um, become isolated with, with the devices. And that's where we start to see problems when there's excess isolation. And, you know, and just to emphasize that, COVID really
0: robbed kids of that opportunity with no sports, no Mm -hmm. band, no theater, no all of that is a lot of that connection that goes Mm -hmm. around that that interaction. So you take that stuff online. How is that different? I mean, if I'm still talking to kids, Zooming, that kind of stuff. What makes social media
1: so dangerous? Well, in my opinion, you know, one thing I always say to young people when I talk to them is, remember, social media is everybody's personal highlight reel of their life, right? This is not their real life. Everybody puts their greatest moments on social media, especially these influencers on TikTok and Instagram, Facebook, whoever these young people look up to. Mm -hmm. Many of them have problems just like the rest of us. And one thing we've lost our ability to do is see people as just regular human beings, to see them strong just like we struggle. So I think a lot of people think everyone else isn't struggling. I see everyone else smiling in their profile pictures. I see the videos they post. They're all on vacation all the time. They're having a great time. I feel sad. Nobody else feels sad. So who am I going to talk to? Yeah, my life feels boring. Right. Yeah, (laughs) right. Yeah, I'm not driving the Lambo. Right. Right. When the Lambo is probably rented or it's it's their brothers that they're sitting next to, you know, or they saw it on the street and took a picture by it. (laughs) Right, exactly.
0: So the state, the county, a lot of people being involved in this process. You're on a number of different commissions and boards. What's the push? What's the goal? Where are we headed with this?
2: Well, I think that... um You know, it's an ongoing process, and I think that as with any problem, the first step is to simply recognize that it is a problem and that our community, from civil policy to uh, clinical practices, just need to step up and put a little bit more time and diligence into uh, caring for people who are hurting and at risk. And I think that uh, a lot of it comes just to getting back to the table and being connected. And... um, you know, we work with uh, proactive solutions in these committees, and Nate, do you want to comment on any specific examples
1: Absolutely. of Absolutely, yeah. So one of the things I want to do is give a huge shout-out to Fort Wayne Police Department. You know, they have developed, it's called Heart, Hope and Recovery Team, and it's two plainclothes detectives who are veterans of the force who have been on for a very long time, a lot of life experience in law enforcement, and then two newly hired social workers who work for the Fort Wayne Police Department and what they do all day every day during the week they go through the log of overdoses brought in by uh, the Three Rivers Ambulance Authority uh, Fort Wayne Fire Department Fort Wayne Police Department and they go do follow ups with these individuals who have had non-fatal overdoses so they go to these individuals their last known residents and they make physical contact Mm. hand them resources and try to they tell them we will transport you to treatment anywhere you want to go and they will they can take them right then and there they also give them Narcan, which is a it's an over-the-counter medication that you can buy or you can get for free from Overdose Lifeline, that re- reverses an opioid overdose. So if somebody is having an opioid overdose, it reverses that. And one of the things that we're finding is opioid overdoses, a, a medical emergency that requires Narcan, you're way more likely to encounter that than you are a situation where you're going to need a, a defibrillator. <laughs> so wait, wait a second. Yeah.
0: I, it's far more frequent that I'm going to have an overdose than a heart attack?
1: Yeah, for those at-risk individuals, it's, it's more likely as a pedestrian you will come across an overdose than you will someone having a heart attack or a heart condition. Yikes.
0: That's I, Okay, that took me back a minute there. Because, you know, I don't live in a world around mental illness. El- to my knowledge, I don't live around mental illness and, and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, clearly it's all around us. And, uh, you know, I know the jail populations are—mental illness is the reason a lot of those folks are in jail.
1: It's huge, and that's one of the things we've been working very hard uh, towards is getting services within the jail. You know, there is a—it's a, called JCAP. It's the Jail Chemical Addictions Program in Kosciuszko County, which has been very successful in taking individuals who are high risk, who use substances, and that's why they're in there in the first place. We're not talking about violent felons here. We're talking about people, low-level drug offenders, who their only crime was that they have a mental health condition, right? So they're teaching them life skills. They're teaching them how to deal with the online of addiction, what we know is The drugs are not the problem. That's just a symptom of the problem. There's something internally. You know, I'm in recovery. There was something internally in me that told me I'm not good enough. So I use drugs to make myself feel good. And that's what happens to many people. Most of them have co-occurring mental health disorders. So what we're trying to do is in Allen County and all the jails around around the state, we're working with Indiana Recovery Network, Doug Hunsinger, the drugs are, to try to get programs with funding that they have lots of money for into the jails so we can cut down on recidivism. When we solve things like drug addiction, we solve things like domestic violence. We solve things like gang violence, shootings, things we've been having a lot in Fort Wayne. We solve theft at Walmart. We solve break into homes. We solve DCS cases. I mean,
0: I got to stop you there. I got so deep into the conversation. I ignored the clock and our time is gone. Nate Mollering, Dr. Scott Myers. Thank Thank you. you for
1: being here. Thank you. And we
0: hope that you will be with us next Saturday morning for the Health Call Live Radio Hour. You've been listening to Health Call Live. Watch a recording of today's program on the Health Call Facebook page or on the web at www.healthcall.live. Drop us a line to recommend a guest or suggest a topic for a future broadcast. Join us next Saturday at 9 a.m. for another edition of Health Call Live on WoWO 1190 a.m. and 1075 FM.